Chapter thirty one of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter thirty one An Encounter. Kate awoke the morning after Hawk's funeral with a confused sense of having consorted with her father's enemies and of trying to justify herself for having done what she had felt compelled to do to answer her sense of self-respect and all this before anyone had accused her but being extremely dubious as to how her father would take her conduct she was not only ill at ease until she should meet him but glad he had been away and it was something of a shock to her that morning to find his bedroom door closed it meant that during the night he had unexpectedly come home. After her breakfast, she walked down to the corral to talk to Bradley about the saddle horses. Not that she had anything to suggest, but because she was nervous. Laramie was intruding more and more into her mind. Every time she banished him, he returned, frequently bringing someone else with him. Between the perplexities and the men that beset her, Kate was not happy, and when, after a ramble along the creek, she returned to the house, she was not surprised to find that her father, coming from the breakfast table, hardly responded to her greeting. He was much engrossed in cutting off the end of a cigar as he passed her, and in walking to the fireplace to find a match. But the matches were not on the mantelpiece where they belonged, and this annoyed him. If he said nothing, it did not deceive Kate as to his feelings. She hastened to hand him the matchbox from the table. He took it without saying a word, but he slammed it back to its accustomed place with a silent and ominous emphasis. She knew it was coming. What surprised her was that she felt no further inclination to shrink from the moment of reckoning she dreaded. Doubleday, his cigar lighted, seated himself in his heavy chair beside the fireplace. "'What kind of a trip had you, father?' Kate, as she asked, made a pretense of arranging the papers and magazines on the table. There was little promise of amiability in her father's answer. "'What do you mean?' he asked. "'Did you get your notes extended?' "'Yes,' his heavy jaw and teeth after the word snapped like a steel trap. Did you go to Abe Hawk's funeral? He flung the question at her like a hammer. Were you told I did? Kate asked. Rode to the graveyard with him, didn't you? Kate saw there was no use softening her words. Father, she said instantly and firmly, the night I came out from town in the storm, I got lost. I got on the wrong side of the creek. My horse gave out. I was dead with the cold. Her father flung his cigar into the fire. What's that got to do with it? He broke in harshly. Just wait a moment. I don't want any long-winded story. I won't tell any. I won't listen to you, he shouted. Answer my question. Her eyes kindled. You may call it whatever you like, but you will listen to my answer in the way I make it. When I had given up hope of saving my life and my horse was drifting, he fell into a dugout. And in the dugout were two men, Abe Hawk and Jim Laramie. They thought there was a party of men with me. They seized me. 
They got ready to fight. I was at their mercy. What dugout? demanded Doubleday. His husky tone seemed to indicate he was cooling a little. The question took her off her guard. At the old mine bridge. A flash of cunning lighted her father's eyes. The curtain fell instantly, but not before Kate had seen. When they questioned me, she hurried on, I told them what had happened. They believed me. They rode with me back to the creek. We swam our horses across. Mine couldn't make the bank. Abe Hawk pulled me out, and Laramie saved my horse. But the bank caved in with Hawk when he pulled me out of the creek, and the next thing I heard, he was dead. I didn't go to his funeral except to ride to the cemetery in the procession. Father, could I do any less? she demanded, wrought up. Barb's harsh red features never looked less uncompromising. Do you expect me to believe that stuff? he asked, regarding her coldly. She only eyed him as he eyed her. Do you expect anybody to believe it? he continued to drive in his contempt. Kate turned white. When she spoke, her words were measured. Oh, no, she said quietly. I don't expect you any more to believe anything I say. Those other men would believe me when they had me in their mercy, when they might have choked or shot me or thrown me into the falling wall canyon. They only believed me. But my own father, he couldn't believe me. Neither appeal nor reproach moved her father. His mind was fixed. Van Horn had been sarcastic over Kate's escapade. Barb's own men were laughing at him. He interrupted Kate. Pack up your things, he said ruthlessly. She faced her father without flinching. What do you mean? she asked. He tossed his head with as little concern as if he were discharging a cowboy. Don't want you around here any longer, he snapped. Pack up, get out. She looked at him in silence. Perhaps, as she turned defiantly away and walked to her room, she thought of the man that had deserted her mother when she herself was a baby in her mother's arms. At any rate, anger fortified her against the shock. Her preparations were soon made. A trunk held all she wished to take. She asked Bradley to get up her pony. Bradley was hitched up for a trip to Sleepy Cat, and, putting her trunk in the wagon, was on the road ahead of Kate. She spent a little time in straightening up her room, and shortly afterwards rode down the trail for town. Absorbed in thoughts tinged with bitterness and anger, she rode toward the creek as if casting things up again and again in her mind, but reaching no conclusion. When her horse struck the sleepy cat road, he turned into it because he was used to doing so, not because she guided him. In this haphazard way, she was jogging on, her eyes fixed on nothing more encouraging than the storm-worn ruts along her way when a shout startled her. Looking up, she saw she was nearing the lower gate of the alfalfa patch, and across the road a party of horsemen had stopped Bradley with the wagon. She recognized Harry Van Horn. His smart hat, erect figure, and scarlet neckcloth 
would have identified him before she could distinguish his features and he always rode the best horse stone and three of the texas men were with him with the exception of van horn they had dismounted and with their drooping horses close at hand were stacking their rifles against the gate and yelling at bradley swinging his hat van horn dashed toward kate just as she looked up and whipping out his revolver pulled his horse to its haunches directly in front of her you're held up he cried the shock on her reverie was sudden and kate was too confused and frightened to speak you can't get by without giving up your tobacco girlie van horn ran on in sing-song raillery shell out he held out his left hand for the spoil and poised his gun high a picture of life and dash you see what's happening to bradley the cowboys in great feather were dragging the old man with mock violence from the wagon kate recovered her breath what's it all about she asked van horn put away his gun he was in very good humor as he glanced over at the boys crowding around bradley they want tobacco he laughed oh you know what i want kate regarded his expectancy unmoved how should i know she asked chilling her question with indifference because he exclaimed sweeping back with a flourish the brim of his hat i want you she eyed him without a tremor and responded without hesitation well i can say you'll never get me if that's all you want he laughed again talk it over with me kate talk it over his eyes always bright and liquid were a little inflamed still laughing he glanced toward the wagon the boys were boisterous kate could hear bradley's voice in shrill protest what i be going to town fer if i had a bottle he was demanding angrily but while she looked and listened van horn slipped quickly from his saddle and caught her bridle rein come on he said at her horse's head let's walk down to the creek girlie and talk it over kate was indignant i won't walk anywhere i'll carry you she suppressed an angry word i'm on my way to town she exclaimed let go my bridle she struck her horse the beast jumped ahead van horn laughing held on but the shock jerked him almost from his feet and as he staggered forward clinging to the rearing animal the half-muffled report of a revolver was heard almost like a thunderbolt it changed the situation one of the texas men had fired in the air but no one had seen him fire and the other texans jumped like longhorns stone clapping his hand to his holster whirled from the wagon wheel kate frightened more than ever struck her horse again the bridle was jerked from van horn's hand and he turned sharply quickest to grasp what he saw as his eye swept the road he yelled look out boys there's laramie the words were not out of his mouth when kate caught sight of a man down the road leaping from a horse as the rider touched the ground he slapped his pony's shoulder and the beast dropped flat the man rifle in hand threw himself behind the prostrate animal and kate heard his brusque yell to van horn and the texans pitch up it would have been hard to say who was most astonished 
Laramie evidently was not expecting an encounter. To dash on horseback into any five men on foot of the enemy's camp was the last thing he would be likely to attempt. If he did attempt it, he would never choose Van Horn or Stone to be of the party. The ground about the scene was flat and only slightly rolling, with the branch road and its old ruts running across it. Caught squarely in the open and without a sagebrush for cover, he had been forced to drop behind his horse for shelter. Lying flat and covering Van Horn and the men with his rifle, he awaited the unpleasant odds against him. The situation of the five men in front was even worse. Their rifles were stacked against the gate hardly a dozen feet away. But to run a gauntlet of a dozen feet against Laramie's rifle fire was a feat none had stomach for, nor were they ready at a hundred yards to pit revolvers against it. One of them might get him, but they knew it would be after some of the others had practically ceased to be interested in the result. The minds of the Texas men were perfectly clear. Their hands shot up like rockets. Stone had taken one big step forward the gatepost. He changed his mind, halted, and his hands went up at the very instant Laramie changed his mind and did not press the trigger against the burly outline darkening the field of his sights. Van Horn, caught, stood helpless and enraged, humiliated in circumstances he least relished for humiliation. Everybody's hands were up. His one chance, Van Horn realized, was to use his colts against the Winchester behind the prostrate horse. It was not a living chance, and no one knew it better than he. His hands moved grudgedly up to his shoulders, and he sang out savagely, "'What the blazes do you want?' There was no answer from Laramie. To add to a difficult situation, Kate's horse, nervous from the shouting and catching its mistress's own fright, jumped and bucked till she was halfway down the road toward Laramie before she could check him. To add to her confusion, words came from ahead just loud enough for her to hear. Pull the blamed brute to one side, will you? It was Laramie speaking, she knew. If he gets between me and that bunch, she heard him say, I'm a goner. She jerked her horse violently out of the road. Laramie had raised his voice and kept right on talking. Turn your back, Van Horn, and you too, Stone. Shoot up your hands, you Texans, higher, he called to one of the Texans. And with the words not out of his mouth, he leaped as if on springs to his feet. It seemed as if his rifle covered his enemies all the time, even while he was doing it. With his head forward, his elbows high, and the Winchester laid against his cheek, stepping like a cat, and swiftly and with his eyes fixed on the men ahead, Laramie walked toward the wagon. In doing so, he approached Kate, whose horse had subsided. Laramie took no note of her. She only heard his words as he passed. You had better get out of this. Approaching his prisoners in such a way they could not reach either the gate or the wagon without crossing his fire, Laramie compelled Bradley, really nothing loath, to disarm the three cowboys in turn and drop their guns into the wagon box. Stone, sullen, was gingerly approached by Bradley under strict orders to keep out of reach of his arms. 
but the old man knew all the tricks of the play being staged even though he was not able to turn them and when stone cursing was ordered to lower his right arm and hand his revolver to bradley at arm's length the old man's feet were planted at least six feet from the foreman for a jump away in case stone tried to clinch him and shoot at laramie from behind bradley's cover but after he was disarmed laramie was not through with stone sullen and obdurate he was ordered to face away while bradley from behind searched his pockets and the crown of his abasement was reached when bradley drew from a hip pocket a full flask of whiskey the material advantage of the fine was not great but the tactical advantage was enormous behind stone bradley silently but jeeringly held it up as an exhibit for the thirsty texas men and to show it was full uncorked and with gusto sampled it stone was ordered back to his horse how long is this joke laramie sang out van horn his humor oozing can't you frisk a few cowboys in less than all day when i frisk a pair of cutthroats with them it's different well don't waste your valuable time on me this is your innings i'll wait for mine drop your gun to the ground returned laramie pick that up bill he added to bradley as van horn threw his revolver contemptuously from its holster he was searched with the same scrupulous care by old bradley his morale greatly strengthened by stone's flask i don't give a darn whether you get me or not he retorted at van horn in answer to a low threat from his victim laramie having told van horn to mount turned to the texas men which one of you boys wants to carry the rifles over to that big cottonwood for me he asked pointing toward the creek i do responded the nearest man promptly don't you do it tex called out stone the texas eyed his foreman why not he demanded ain't i been riding this country all day with a man squealing for a drink as loud as i was and had his pocket full of it all the time i'm through with my job laramie broke in without losing the precious moment who set my house on fire tex he demanded the texan nodded in stone's direction ask him he'd lie tex i'm asking you the raw-boned horseman hesitated i'll talk it over with you when i'm rested he drawled go get your colts out of the wagon tex laramie pointed the way pick out the guns of the other two boys and tote them over to that tree with you the boys will ride over there after you tell barb i'll give him twenty-four hours to get every hoof round or split that belongs to me back to the falling wall failing which i'll be over to talk with him privately will you do that tex i sure will these rustlers here he looked toward stone and van horn won't be able to carry messages for a while they're riding to town with me bill he added turning to bradley dump their rifles into the wagon and follow on along what's this snapped van horn with an oath going to town with you not on your life 
You're headed for jail tonight, Harry, that's all. You boys, he spoke to the Texans and gave no heed to the oaths and abuse from Van Horn, ride down to the Cottonwood and get your guns from Tex. There are two good trails from here to town and plenty of room on both. Today I'm riding the Double Draw Bridge. If any of you are going to town, take the other trail. Lead off now, you two. He spoke to Van Horn and Stone, both mounted, and with the two headed for town, and the Texans started up the road, Laramie climbed into his own saddle. Not until then did he look around for Kate. She had disappeared. End of chapter 31